also go to Genesis 14, please. Genesis 14. I think we'll actually start in Genesis 14. Now, note, I'm going to be checking my phone throughout the evening. It's not because I am not paying attention. The clock broke back there. So, if you don't want me to check my phone, that's fine. It'll be 10 o'clock when we get out of here. But, so if you see me checking that, don't think that I am ignoring you guys. Hebrews chapter 6. Let's pray. Lord, a lot going on. We're thankful for you being God that's in charge of everything. A lot of the surgeries got going on, a lot of difficult times, a lot of health issues. Thank you for being God that cares and hears and that you bring the comfort of you to them. Pray once again for safety as we travel home and safety for everybody out on the roads. But right here, right now, we want to learn of you and we want to grow in you. Lift this up in your name. All right, keep your hand here in Hebrews 6. Let's start out there in Genesis 14. Finally, tonight, you get a chance to talk about this man by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek makes an appearance in Genesis 14, starting verse 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he gave him a tithe of all. And just like that, he disappears. Then all of a sudden, now keep your hand here in Genesis 14. If you're looking at Hebrews chapter 6 that we've been studying, we've been talking about how Jesus is greater. Chapter 1, he's greater than the angels. Chapter 3, he's greater than Moses. Chapter 4, he's greater than Joshua. And then chapter 5, he's greater than the Levitical priesthood. And Jesus himself is a priest. And how is he a priest? Look at verse 20 of Hebrews chapter 6 where the forerunner has entered for us, even Jesus, having become high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, so we have to talk about what this is and what this represents. Now, a couple points here you've got to remember as we go through this, we'll mention this tonight. Why does there need to be a separate priesthood? If you weren't, interested, me, if you weren't with us there a couple weeks ago, we talked about the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood, what that meant for the high priest, why they did what they did, the offering of sacrifices, etc. Well, the problem is that that priesthood that was set up couldn't really take care of sins. No matter how many animals you sacrificed, you would never get your sins completely wiped away. The Bible says you just cover those sins up. And no matter what you did, there was a sinful man trying to help take away your sin. Well, a sinful man can't take away sins. So there's this whole order here of this man by the name of Melchizedek. Why? Because man is sinful. We need another priesthood. And why also? Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, and the priest had to come from the tribe of Levi. So God set up this order of Melchizedek. Now let's talk about who he is. You got your hand there in Genesis 14. Let's look at the description of him. Quite an interesting little description. He's king of Salem. He brings bread and wine. He's a priest of the God Most High. He's blessing Abraham, and Abraham is tithing to him. Now, if you look through this, that is quite the description of who this person is. Now, what's the king of Salem? Salem means peace, so he's the king of peace. So when you think of peace, what do you think of? I automatically think of Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 makes it wonderfully clear. He's the wonderful counselor, the prince of peace. No man can be the king of peace. No man can be the prince of peace. So there has to be something special about this individual. Next, what is he bringing? Bread and wine. Now, when you think of bread and wine, what does your mind go to? Communion. Who instituted communion? Christ. What are we supposed to think about when we do communion? We're supposed to think about Jesus. 
how the bread represents his body that was broken for us, and the wine, the drink, represents the blood that was shed for us. He's the priest of God most high. He's not the Levitical priest. He's not the priest of the book of Exodus, Numbers, and Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. He's God's priest. He blesses Abraham, and lastly, Abraham tithes to him. So Abraham is recognizing this man as something far bigger and far greater. So with that background now, go back to Hebrews chapter 6. Let's see what the writer of Hebrews has to say about this individual. See, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 7. It says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, prince of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings in Luston, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of his spoils. Now put this into perspective. Who's this guy, Melchizedek? First off, we see he's king of Salem, king of peace. We already talked about that in verse 1. He's also the king of righteousness. Well, according to Jeremiah, there's only one righteous. And that's Jeremiah 23. It says, the Lord is righteous. So the only one that can bring peace is God. The only one that's righteous is God. So we see that in verse 2. Look at verse 3. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. I don't know about you, but when I think of that passage, I think of Isaiah 41, Isaiah 44, and God says, I am the first and the last. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. What a description of this person. No father, no mother, no genealogy, not a beginning and not an end. He's been made like the Son of God. And verse 4, this guy is so great, even Abraham is tithing to him. Now, I think when we read this, I think what we see here is Melchizedek has to be something super special. And there's a big fancy term, we used it a couple weeks ago, where it's called a theophany, where it's an appearance of God in the Old Testament, more specifically an appearance of the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, in the Old Testament. And that's what we're going to get in here tonight. Because this individual that we're talking about, Melchizedek, is so special. He can't be a human, because a human can't be the king of peace. A human can't be the king of righteousness. A human can't say, well, I have no genealogy, no mom, no dad. A human can't say, I have no beginning and no end. A human can't say, I'm made like the Son of God. And if this was a human, why is Abraham tithing to him? This has to be somebody special. Somebody very special. We see here in verse 5, And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. What the writer of Hebrews is now saying is follow this logic, he says. The priesthood received tithes to help them, support them. But verse 6, but he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed them who had the promise. Now, beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. So he's making two points here. First off, the greater person blesses the lesser person. The greater person carries the blessing. A great example of this. So remember when King Saul started going downhill. Samuel the prophet shows up to King Saul. And what does Saul do to Samuel? Saul wants to bless Samuel. And Samuel says, no, you can't do that. The greater blesses the lesser. This is not some type of pecking order. This is not some type of I'm better than you. This is a spiritual responsibility. This is a spiritual authority. So what he's saying right here in verse 6 is, listen, by... 
Melchizedek blessing Abraham, what we're really saying is Melchizedek is higher than Abraham. Verse 8, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he received them, of whom he is witness that he lives. Even Levi, who received tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, for he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. So basically saying even the Levites tithe to Melchizedek because they're descended of Abraham. So the Levites are even accepting the fact that this guy is better than them. Why do we need this once again? Because man is sinful. If the Levitical priesthood, if the Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, could have saved you, why would Jesus have to die on the cross? Why would he? There needs to be a separate offering for sin through Christ. And this separate offering of sin had to go through something other than the Old Testament law. Because the Old Testament law is not perfect. It can never take away your sins. So God set up this separate priesthood, a spiritual, if you will, supernatural priesthood through Melchizedek, which is a picture of the Lord, to say this is how your sins are going to be taken care of. Because if your sins could be taken care of through man's way, well then you know what? We could honestly say, well you know baptism could save you. Communion could save you. Confirmation could save you. The sacraments could save you. It can't. It's only Jesus who saves you. So if you can be saved through the Old Testament law, what's the purpose of Jesus dying on the cross? They can't do it, so there had to be a separate understanding, and that's where Melchizedek comes in, who's a picture of Christ. Now, I know this is kind of a tough thing. We're going to explain this more. Let's stop here for a second. Any quick questions and comments here? Marcus. No, I, Marcus brings up a wonderful point. How did Abraham know to tithe? I, I answer that question with a question. How did Noah know what was the unclean, clean animals? You know, what a lot of people believe is this, is that the law that came in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, that when Adam was created, that there was already, already an understanding put into them. We believe these people were created intelligent beings. And so what happens is you see before the law comes, you see people doing things that are law-like. How did Abel know to sacrifice a lamb? He somehow knew. The Lord of God had given that wisdom there. How did Abraham know the tithe? How did Noah know it was clean and unclean animals? There was no written law given. But a lot of people believe this during that time before the written law was given, that there was an understanding passed down from family to family and patriarch to patriarch. This is what the Lord has asked of us. So to answer your question, I would say it looks like in the book of Genesis, you see people already having an understanding of what God is looking for. Altar, sacrifice, etc. Does that help answer? Similar to the Jewish tradition, but with a lot more basis on what God wants. What you see happening is when they went to Egypt, and remember in the Bible, Egypt is a picture of the world. When they went to Egypt for those hundreds of years, you see them losing this focus on the Lord. And so that's why when you see them coming out of Egypt, God is giving them the law now and saying, we're going to make this firm, we're going to do this the right way. Because what happened is they kind of lost that. Now that's just speculation, it's just an idea. But there's enough evidence in Genesis to say these guys knew what was right and wrong according to God. Once again, how else did Noah know what was clean and unclean? Anybody else have anything ever before I go on? Okay. Now you may be thinking, James, I came out on a Wednesday, and it's really foggy out there. And I came out just to hear about this guy named Melchizedek that I really don't really care about. What's the big deal? Here's the big deal. God knows everything. 
He dots every I, he crosses every T. Romans 8, 28, in all things he works for the good. He has to have all these details figured out. And this is a huge detail. The huge detail is this. If the Levitical priesthood, the law, could take away our sins, why would Jesus have to die? There has to be some type of sacrifice going on, and it has to be through Christ. You guys got that. So, but for this to work, Jesus has to be our high priest. Okay? Jesus can't be our high priest according to the Levitical law. So there has to be a whole separate system set up. You know, if you're a visual person, envision over here the Levitical priesthood. Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. You got Aaron, you got the high priest, you got the Levites, you have this whole system working. The temple set up, animal sacrifices. That's what you got. Over here, you have this order according to Melchizedek. And there's only one priest, Jesus. There's only one sacrifice, Jesus. So these are the two systems you have. This system is a broken system that will never completely work. So God says, hey, don't worry about this. I got this other thing already set up and taken care of, and it's going to fix everything, because Jesus will be the ultimate sacrifice. Because look at verse 11. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need were there that another priest should rise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? If this system right here can fix all your problems, why do we need this? We need this because this system is broken. Verse 12, for the priesthood being changed of necessity, there's also a change of the law. There's necessary that we change this. For he of whom things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man is officiated of the altar. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning the priesthood. See, God is so orderly. He is so logical. If somebody wanted to stop and say, you keep talking about Jesus being high priest, he can't be high priest. He's from the tribe of Judah. Only Levi's people can be the high priest. So there's a problem with your Jesus. No. There's all another priesthood set up. You didn't know about it. It's this guy named Melchizedek. And so therefore, Jesus is a high priest according to that. Because this other high priesthood, this other Levitical priesthood, it, it, it doesn't work. Because animals can't take away your sins. Only Jesus can take away your sins. Verse 15, And it is yet far more evident that in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest. So if there's another priesthood, there has to be another priest, and that priest is Jesus. Verse 16, Who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. He didn't come as priest according to some rules and regulations. Jesus came because he has an endless life. Verse 17. For he testifies, you are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. For on the one hand, there's a nulling of the former commandments because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law, here's the key, look at verse 19. The law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there's the bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. The law cannot save you. Now, you guys know that. I've never had anybody come up to me here in the years I've been a pastor saying, Hey, James, I think I'm going to go sacrifice a lamb just to make sure my sins are covered. You guys know that. But you know what? I had people come up to me over the years and say, You know, James, I, I, I think I need to get baptized to make sure I'm saved. Oh, you, you don't need to do that. You know, James, my... my kids. You know, I was raised a certain way and so I think now I'm going to have to take my kids over to go do this for a while, just to make sure they're okay and in, to get all these rules and regulations done. 
You don't have to do that. Jesus fulfilled all the rules, all the regulations. So we may not sit here and struggle with this idea of law, but we have things today we still struggle with that we think, I should probably do this to make sure I'm okay. Isn't that the assurance of Christ? You don't have to do anything to make sure you're okay. You need to accept what Jesus did. Because let's just repeat this. Verse 11. If you can be saved through the law, why doesn't it work? Verse 19. The law made nothing perfect. Verse 18. The law had weakness. The law had unprofitableness. It was just a system set up to cover our sins. Until Jesus came to be the ultimate, final sacrifice of what is supposed to be happening. That's the point. It was just a temporary fix until the right thing could come and the right thing could take care of it. Here's the problem. Sometimes we like to stick with the temporary fixes. Do you have anything at home that broke? And it's, and it's, it's broken. But what you have done is you have just thought of some idea that you patched it back together. And it works. Now, is it fixed? Of course not. It may be literally hanging on, literally hanging on, with duct tape and clothes pins and paper clips. Well, it works. No, it doesn't work. It's broken. You're just making it work for a little bit. I don't know why you have this charger at home for my phone. And I can actually see bare wires in the charger. But if I take the charger on my phone and I plug it in and I wrap it around enough times, it will start to work. So Dawn will say, you need to go out and get a new charger. I'll say, no, I know it's working. Look at this, see? I just got to wrap it around the phone three or four times. Just make the connection happen. That's a little bit like the law. Hey, it's working. Well, how's it working? Well, it's working. You know, it's killed an animal, covered by sins for a little bit. Yeah, but it's not going to take care of you for eternity. Yeah, but it's working. No, it's not. It's just temporarily working. Jesus is saying, I want to come and I want to make it all right. I want to fix the whole thing. Because right now you have sinful men trying to take care of sinful men. That doesn't work. So the sinless man will come take care of sinful men. Right now you're offering these sacrifices day in and day out repeatedly. Hey, I'm going to come and offer one sacrifice for sin. Somebody will step up and say, well, you can't do it. You're from the tribe of Judah. Yeah, but there's a whole other priesthood you don't know about. And it's through this guy, Melchizedek, which is actually me. And to prove the point, I'm the king of righteousness. I'm the king of peace. I'm the one that does all this. See, I'm the one that God has made. See, look at verse 20. And as much as he was not made priest without an oath, for they had become priests without an oath, but he without oath by him said to him, The Lord has sworn you will not relent. You are priests forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. That's a kind of a confusing verse. What he's really saying is this. How do you become a priest in the Old Testament? You're born into it. If you were born into the tribe of Levi and you were a male, tough luck, that's your job. You don't make any deals, you don't sign any contracts, you don't make any oaths, you're a priest. Well, no, not Jesus. God himself, verse 21, swore, you are my priest. God ordained this. So look at verse 22. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Here's our word. Look at what we're building up to. This idea of being better. Better. Look at verse 19, a better hope. Verse 22, a better covenant. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, guys, this is better. Why? Verse 25, because he's able to save to the uttermost 
those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Why is this idea better? Because Jesus can save them. There's nothing you need to do. Because why? Verse 26, for such a high priest was fitting for us. Look at the description of Jesus, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. See, think about this. If you're in the Old Testament and you did something you shouldn't have done and you feel guilty, so you want to go make peace with God, you can't just sit there and say, Lord, I'm sorry. So you'd have to go to your flock, pick out your best lamb, your best lamb, and you'd have to go explain to your wife, what are you doing? Well, I screwed up. So I'm taking a little Molly of a lamb to the temple. And that's your livelihood right there. So you take your lamb in. Then you go to the priest and you say, I messed up. I need to do a burnt offering for my sin. The priest says, okay, I will offer the sacrifice. But hey, first, before I offer a sacrifice for your sin, I have to go offer a sacrifice for my sin. Now, wouldn't they make you stop and think, wait a second. I'm bringing this lamb to you. Because I trust that you're going to be the go-between between me and God. But yet you're telling me before you can be the go-between for me and God, you have to go have a sacrifice for you. This system's really not working here. I had a pastor friend who told me the story. He served in the Marines. And uh, I'm not, please don't think I'm picking on VA hospitals. I don't mean that in any way whatsoever. He said that uh, he had a tooth that had to be pulled. And so he was lives in Columbus, so he went to a VA hospital, he said it was in Dayton, and he showed up, made the appointment to get it taken care of, etc. And he got there, and the doctor that was on duty said, yeah, we don't have a dentist. I don't know who you made the appointment with, but we don't have a dentist that can do anything like this. And so my pastor friend's name is Dave. He said, well, I, I need to get this tooth taken care of here. And so the guy said, okay, this is what we'll do. And I'm not making this story up. The guy went and got a book, opened the book, and just went step by step on how to remove a tooth and how to do it. And Dave said it was the strangest thing in the world to watch this guy with tools in one hand, with a book in the other, literally going, okay, the next step is this. Now, would that not make you a little nervous? You're trusting, you're trusting this priest in the Old Testament to take care of your sin. And the priest is saying, but I, I gotta take care of mine first. See, this is the beauty of Jesus. Jesus, I love you. Will you forgive me? Jesus doesn't say, yeah, I'll forgive you, but I first got to make sure I'm forgiven first. Jesus says, I can do it. Well, how can you? Because I'm your high priest through the order of Melchizedek. Go to verse 28. For the law appoints as high priest men who have weaknesses. But the word of the oath, which comes after law, appoints the son who's been corrected forever. Old Testament is sinful men ministering to sinful men. Melchizedek is sinless man ministering to sinful men. And in verse 8, now this is the main point of the things that you're saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. So the high priest's job is to offer up something. They offer sacrifices to the Lord. So now the writer of Hebrews is saying, what is Jesus going to offer? Well, let's see what he's going to offer. Verse 4. If he were here on earth, he would not be a priest. Since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. If Jesus was just another man, we wouldn't need him. 
Verse 5, who served the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, so he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown to you on the mountain. See, now he's starting to say there's something that we don't see. Verse 6, but now he, meaning Jesus, has obtained a more excellent ministry. And as much as he is also a mediator, here's our word again, a better covenant, which was established on better promises. Note the word better. Verse 19, we have a better hope. A better hope. Verse 22, we have a better covenant. Verse 6, chapter 8, we have a better covenant. Better promises. Did you ever know that? That when Moses went up and brought down the plans for the temple, God says, hey Moses, I'm giving you the pattern. I already got one set up here. So what we have on earth, this temple is really just a picture of what goes on up in heaven. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, listen, your priests on earth are just really doing, verse 5, a copy and shadow of a heavenly ministry. Where Jesus says, I am the heavenly Jesus is fulfilling everything that heaven has to offer us. And so what happens now in Hebrews from chapter 8 on, we're going to talk about this better covenant. We're not going to go much further here, because look at verse 7. For if that first covenant, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Old Testament law, had been faultless, there'd be no place would have been salt for a second. There'd be no purpose of a second. I'm not going to be able to read that in any way whatsoever. 329. 329 boxes. Yes. Wow. Triple check. Triple check. Thank you. 329 shoe boxes. Wow, guys. Amen to that. So that's the phrase here, is this idea of better. And we have to have a chapter stop right there with Melchizedek to say, well, how can it be better? It's better because it's a whole other system set up. A whole other system that Jesus is the only priest in that's sinless and perfect. So therefore, there's not sinful men taking care of sinful men. There's a sinless man taking care of sinful men. This is not this constant repetition of animals having to die for sins. No, there's one man who died for sins. There's one man who took care of it. And what a blessing that is. And that's what we start talking about now in chapter 8, 9, and 10. Jesus is better than the angels, chapter 1. Jesus is better than Moses, chapter 3. Jesus is better than Joshua, chapter 4. Jesus is better than the Levitical priesthood, chapter 5. Here now in chapter 7 and 8, Jesus is a whole new covenant that's better than anything you can imagine in the Old Testament. And that's who we serve. And that's what we're learning about. Anybody have any questions, comments here about anything here before we close up? Jody? Um, if you talk to certain Jews, you get certain opinions. And certain Jews just think that he was exactly what it says there in chapter 14. Salem, a lot of people believe, is an old name for Jerusalem. So they believe that Melchizedek was the original king of Jerusalem. And so that's why he has such a special honor and a special place. So while Abraham was doing his thing, that God had already set up Jerusalem, and Melchizedek was this original king of this area, that's why he's such a place of honor and importance. But you've got to remember, too, from an Old Testament Jewish perspective, they don't have Hebrews to explain anything else that we talk about. Melchizedek's just this guy that appears for a little bit, and it's like, oh, he was a pretty special guy. Yep, pretty special guy, first king of Jerusalem there. And, and just for the record, too, you're going to run into people that New Testament believers that believe Melchizedek was not 
um, not the Lord appearing in the Old Testament, but I believe that he was a human in a very special role. You know, the more I study it out, the more I realize that just can't be. Because if this guy was a regular human that was just a special human, it's still sinful. It's still sinful, and that's the whole point we're talking about here. If this guy was a human like everybody else, then how was his sin not affected? We have to have sinless. We have to have sinless. That's what Jesus keeps coming back to. If, if the Old Testament law could take care of our sins, there's no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. And if you could earn salvation through some type of religious action or duty, then there's no reason for Jesus to die on the cross. It has to come down to this. We're saved by Christ and Christ alone. And what a beautiful, free thought that is. I don't have to earn his love. I don't have to earn my salvation. I don't have to do any type of works to say, Lord, am I in? He just loves me. And then when you have that assurance, you can walk in this, as it says in 1 John, perfect love casts out fear. Lord, you love me perfectly and completely, and I can just know I can walk in assurance that I'm saved. Because isn't that what people are looking for? They want to know that they're saved. And through this priesthood of Melchizedek, through Jesus, you have assurance. It's all taken care of. All the details are met. Don't have to worry about it. Anybody else have any final things here before we close up? Okay. Oh, Mary. Why why did we have to have all of the old testament before Christ? I mean, why couldn't we just jump right to Jesus? Yeah. It's like Adam and Eve sins. Oh, Jesus said. Right, I understand what you're saying there. The purpose of the law in the Old Testament was to show us that we're sinners. So we got that down. So that's why that had to happen. I think what I hear you asking is, why did we have to wait 4,000 years before Jesus was born, basically? Is that kind of what you're saying? And why are we waiting another 2,000 years here before it goes on? The Lord, in his infinite wisdom, knows what day is best. I'm not dodging your question. Because the answer to your question is, I don't know. I'll tell you that right now. When you look and study out what God is doing, he says, the longer I wait, the more it shows I'm right and sin is wrong. So if Adam and Eve would have sinned, and they would have sinned, and seconds after they would have sinned, God would have said, don't, don't worry, I got this guy named Jesus, and he's going to take care of your sin, and it's all taken care of. They never would have seen the effects of sin in any way whatsoever. By the Lord waiting now 6,000 years, there is just so much proof. Sin is awful, horrible, nasty. It's a cursed, fallen world. And the comparison between Jesus and what man wants to do, there is no comparison. So the longer God waits, the more it's easiest to see the perfection of God and the sinfulness of man. And it builds up to the point of the thousand-year reign of Christ where Jesus rules and reigns for a thousand years, to be able to step back now and say, okay, world, you just had a thousand years of my reign, and you're still going to revolt against me. So my initial answer is, I don't know, because I'm not God. But the answer I see in the Bible is the longer God waits, the more it's easier to see his perfection and love and holiness versus our first fallen world, if that makes sense. Anybody else have anything here before we close up? Okay. Let's spread this into our lives. Lord, there's a lot of stuff here we learned, but what it really comes down to is this, it's, it's you. It's all about you. And Lord, help us this week as we run into other people that are, are, are thinking 
something can save them. Lord, help them to realize it's you and you alone. And that's what we want to proclaim. Preach Christ crucified. And if there's anyone here tonight that just still struggles in the back of their mind with this idea of doing something good or earning salvation, I hope this lesson tonight Lord, just shows them it's you. You took care of all of it for us. Thank you. We pray for safety as we travel home. Pray for safety for all of our loved ones out there on the roads. And um, thank you, Lord, for just being a God that works out all the details so we don't have to lift this up in your name. Amen. Amen. So once again, 329 shoeboxes. What a blessing. Thank you to everybody that helped me participate with that. So hey, safety for you guys as you travel home. And don't forget, next Wednesday... We'll stop our study in Hebrews, do some communion, and have a special evening there of Thanksgiving. Praise the Lord God. You guys have a good week. God bless.